Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with Bill Blocker, president of the College of Biblical Studies in Houston, Texas, to discuss what it means to lead with authentic humility. Leading like Christ, our ultimate example of a humble leader, is often easier said than done. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education, and we are honored to have as our guest this week, Bill Blocker. Bill has a distinguished ministry career, having served both in the church as well as within biblical higher education, and he's currently the president of the College of Biblical Studies located in Houston, Texas. Prior to his presidency, Bill served at Moody Bible Institute, a school that many are familiar with there in Chicago. He's a man of passion about his walk with the Lord, his family, and his ministry. And Bill, we're blessed uh, to have you as chair of the board uh, for the Association for Biblical Higher Education. I've invited Bill to talk about leading with authentic humility. From my perspective, I think it's a starting point for any effective leader. So, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Philip. It's just an honor to be here and uh, to know that you have counted me as one who leads with humility. So (laughs) that's quite an honor to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. And and probably going to be a little bit difficult to talk about too, right? Absolutely. Which is very typical for humble leaders. But I think think you're the perfect guy to talk about it. So to, to kick us off, before we actually get into leadership, humility and leadership, as you reflect back over your experiences, share with us one defining moment that God used to propel you forward in either your your personal or your professional life. Well, this is quite clear. Lord had blessed us earlier. I had just gotten married, Zelda and I, and uh, through a series of events, the Lord allowed me to end up in a law firm. Now, I'm not an attorney. Um, I've gotten a technology and I was doing white collar fraud investigation and had the privilege of of working up through the ranks, one of the largest law firms in New England. And through some, what I know now, divine appointments, God had allowed me to sit in on a deposition for the technology end of it. And uh, one of my good friends was deposing a guy, and uh, I watched eyewitness account of a guy who uh, had a massive heart attack and die in front of our presence. And that shook me to the core. It shook him to the core. But I think even more so than that, Philip, was seeing what transpired as a response to here's a person who's on the defendant's side of the fence. And the deposition, we put it on halt. My friend then went home. We got home. We prayed. I came back in the office the next day. It was as if nothing happened. And I talked to the managing director at the time and said, hey, we're regrouping for Monday. And he says, what are you talking about? Where's Ken? Go get him. We're starting this back up again. And that to me 
shook the very core of my existence. And it was there during that process, a couple of things happened. I got home that night, couldn't sleep. And I kept dreaming about Jeremiah 1.5. And that just kept hitting me over and over again. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I couldn't shake that response. But I think the thing that really shaped me during that moment after talking to my pastor, talking to my father, praying with my wife Zelda, I went to the office. And in those days, law firms prided themselves on being having the highest floor. And looking over the city, it, I, what kept coming to me is what had shaped me to this day in discipleship was Mark 8. And then it starts in 27. We always know the conversation where Jesus says, you know, hey, if anyone wants to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, pick up his cross and, and, and follow me. Well, that didn't catch my attention. What caught my attention was somewhere around that 36th verse in that eighth chapter where it says, what does it profit? Now, I was a young man, so profit was on <laughs> right centerpiece of what I was looking at. What does it profit? So God got my attention by using that word profit. It says, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world? And I knew enough about Bible, even though I was a seminary trained at the time, that he wasn't talking about gaining. It's impossible to gain the whole world. But what literally what he was communicating was that you've been chasing after all this stuff. And what's what does it profit you in forfeiting your soul? Now, I was a believer, but what it meant to me was you're doing all of this at what cost? What are you getting out of this? And how does it equate to my kingdom building? And so that shook the very core of the essence of who I was at the time. After a couple of those events and talking with my pastor, consulting with my father and praying with Zelda, it was clear to me God was calling into me to the ministry. And I packed our bags. We had three children, one on the way. I left Connecticut within three weeks heading to Chicago. <laughs> that was a defining moment for me. It was absolutely incredible. Sure was. So before that, Bill, you were thinking that law was going to be your career. Absolutely. I was on track to be the first non-attorney partner. That was my goal. That was my that was my goal. And I was a year and a half away from that. And it was clear I was going to hit that mark. And God just interrupted that whole program. You talk about a 180, tracked, tracked for law and then heading into ministry. And I know that you've had a, a tremendous impact, both in the church context as well as in higher education, serving at Moody, and like I said, now at the College of Biblical Studies. Uh, so when you reflect over leadership, and we're going to kind of transition and, and talk a little bit about your leadership experience specifically as we kind of get our hands around leading with, with humility, as, as you reflect back through your multiple experiences, what has shaped you the most as the leader that you are today? You know, obviously that experience that you shared with us was uh, life-changing from a trajectory perspective, but from a leadership perspective, uh, what is what has shaped you the most to be who you are, Bill, today? And that's a very good question. I think it, it, it was a series of things. It was not necessarily what, but who, all right? And God put several people along the journey. The first was getting to Chicago and recognizing that I was being called into ministry and sacrificing a lot of money to go into poverty almost. <laughs> that was the process of then going and ending up in Moody and taking on the opportunity to shape distance learning for the whole country. 
I mean, that was and beyond that for the whole world. But I think what specifically shaped me was, were individual people. At that point, I was directed to start studying at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my life has been shaped by people who have, you know, you got good kings and you got bad kings. <laughs> the first thing I entered ministry, I had a mentor shape me by saying, hey, I want you to write all the people who started off in ministry with you in the front of your Bible. And I took about 28, 29 names, people starting off along the journey. And then he says, when they fall, and they will fall, I want you to write their names in the back of the Bible. And he said, every time you begin to study the word of God, you pray for those leaders who have not fallen, and you flip over to the back of your Bible, you pray for those who have fallen, that God would give them some sense of reconciliation. And he says, remember that the only thing that separates you from being on the front and end up in the back are those 66 books of grace. And every time I approach scriptures, I look at that. And the sad reality of that, Phil, Philip, is that right now, there is literally only three people in the front of my Bible. And that list on the back is really bad. So that was that, that person was my mentor, and Charles was his name. Then I had leaders at DTS, Prof Hendricks, really poured into me, and Dr. Dwight Pentecost really poured into me, and John Reed. All of those gentlemen came alongside of me, and they would look at what was in front of me and give me warnings. And, and here's typical things. Here's a quote from Howard Hendricks. I love this. He says, you're a successful person, Bill Blocker, but let me tell you how to measure, measure success. Success is not measured by what you achieve in life, but it is by what you inspire others to achieve in life. And that resonated with me, humbling experience. Those are all the good kings. Now I got the, the bad kings. Every single occupation that I've ever worked in, Philip, there has been someone who I replaced that have fallen right before me in every single occupation, from my church, pastor in the church, from Moody's context, even here at CBS. And God has demonstrated that could be me. If without his grace, that could be me. So you have the good kings, those who poured into me. You have those kings who defaulted. And he says, here, you have to choose each moment how you're going to live your life and making sure that my grace is sufficient for you. And that has really guided me. Those two rails, here's what to do and here's what not to do. And it has helped me a lot because I'm a middle child. So <laughs> I can look at both ends of the spectrum saying that's not going to be me. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's neat to, to hear that in, because knowing you as a leader and who you are today, Clearly, those men—the names that you mentioned—good grief! They're they're just way up there, even at a national and international level of of men who have gone before, who have led with integrity, who have led with humility, and to have them speak into your life the way you did. And that visual is beautiful of the front and, and the back of the Bible. And isn't it amazing how God puts people, puts leaders in situations where they know that they're prepared to handle them? And, and knowing that you came into each one of those uh, situations with fallen leaders before you, God has equipped you in a very special way to step into an organization, to be able to pick up the pieces, and to be able to propel uh, and move the organization forward. So, so in order to do that, I think it, it, it takes a, a leader, a humble leader, 
to lead. And, and you know, those of us who are in, in Christian circles, which is the vast majority of, of listeners to this podcast, obviously we have the ultimate best example of a humble leader, uh, and that's Jesus Christ. And as, as reflected through the New Testament, when you talk about leading with humility, what exactly are, are you talking about? What, what does it mean to lead with humility? I would say the first thing uh, is to recognize that God has equipped you to equip others. And it's not about you. And I think that's the very first thing, going back to Mark 8, you can look at Luke 9, it's self-denial. It is, this is much bigger than us. This is much bigger than anything that we can even engage upon. And the fact that God has allowed us to participate in his divine plan is something that keeps you in the right position. And here's, I'll say this by saying I shared to a, a pastor friend who had just graduated and I was encouraging him and he was complaining that he could not, he was a skilled, skilled expository preacher. He was complaining he couldn't get into a church and no church. He was in an academic setting, but he couldn't get into church. And he was saying, hey, can you help me out? Why? I don't understand all my giftedness. I, I can't seem to penetrate the church and nobody's looking. You know, I want a mega church. And I looked at him and I said very candidly, because he knows me very well. I said, here's what I discovered in life. If God allows us to pastor one person, it's more than we ever deserve. So never complain about the number and the size of things because it has nothing to do with us. And I think leading with humility is to recognize it's not about you. It's all about what God is doing in your life and your willingness. And here's what I quote all the time. God doesn't care about our ability. He only cares about our availability and how much we're willing to surrender to his will. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now, back to the show. So, so that's, that's a bit contradictory, I think. When we look at the pop literature on leadership that's out there, the secular perspective, and, and in some respects, even within Christian contexts, that it is about the leader, right? It's about me. It's about how I can influence those around me. And what you're saying is it's actually an orientation. It's it's the exact 180 of that, that it's actually, no, it's not about you. Go a little bit deeper with that. Here, I think there is a thin line, Philip, between selfish ambition and holy ambition. And that line, if we don't carefully submit to the Word of God, we will blur those lines those lines. God has created and gifted us. It's his gifting in us. And as we exemplify that, it, here's a real candid example. It, you see these famous sports players, right? And all these famous people. When the attention comes to us from what we've done based upon what we've been given, who do we reflect on to give the glory to? 
There is a litmus test. And often it's so easy for us to listen to the applause of men. Going back to John Reed and, and specifically in this case, Dr. Dwight Pentecost, I remember him telling me, he said, son, what you do is you, took, you take two waste baskets and you put one on the left and you put the other one on the right. You take all those criticisms and people who are mean e evil things against you, you throw them in this waste basket. And he said, and the people that are applauding you and making your head swell up like a pumpkin, you put all those things in this waste basket and you promise yourself you're not going to pick up and recycle either one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, again, counter because as leaders, no one likes the criticism, right? So when we get when we do get the accolades, we, we do want to treasure those and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm not that bad, right? Uh, people actually do see good in me, but there's a significant danger in doing that. Right. Well, here's the thing. If you look at the scriptures, Jesus defines the very essence of humility. You look through all the gospels. He's saying here, you've heard it said, but this is what I say. <laughs> this is what leadership is. If you want to be first, you be last. If someone does this, you do that. He takes the paradigm and he turns it upside down. And I think there's something inside of us who we are just created since we live in a fallen world that we want to take credit for what God is doing and shame on us for trying to usurp God's glory. Any, anything else when it comes to, uh, for you, for, for leading humility? Uh, what, what, is it, what does it look like to you? Here is a, another point. I would say this selflessness, and we, we talked about that in form of humility, but also pouring into others and making sure that what God has given to you, you have made an intentional effort to deposit. Jesus says to the disciples, many more things are you going to do than I. And what does he mean by that? He, he really means I'm giving you, you're, numerically you're, you're more in number than I, but I'm depositing into you. And so when you lead with humility, one, you don't take credit, you lift up the other people, but secondly, you're making sure that your raison d'etre, your reason for being is living the life of Christ by depositing, you become the living word, and you're depositing that into others' life. And so the greatest testimony I've seen, witnessed, talking about this was witnessing, and I don't mind saying this on, on your podcast, witnessing the life of Lois Evans at Oak Cliff when she passed. There are more people at her funeral than I've seen at Prof Hendricks and all these other people because she served well. Her name wasn't always in lights. She wasn't always at the front of the stage, but humility and leading with humility is when you're behind the seat, seat and you're almost like in the back of the bus, pushing and egging everybody on. That's how I see leadership and humility as they work hand in hand. Yeah. So a good question for leaders uh, to ask themselves along those lines. One, is it, is it about me? And secondly, am, am I depositing into others? And so a good, a, a good question to ask is who, who in your circle right now today are you depositing in? Do you have people that you're mentoring, that you see potential leadership skill in, and are you investing and, and, and pouring yourself into it? Which, Bill, people did for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a great debt. I have a great debt, Philip. Trust me. I have a great debt. Because as a leader, it, it's easy to say, hey, I want to dictate this. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And it's so easy to fall into that. But And people should not be shocked when they see you on the front lines doing things. If that's a shocker, you need to check your direction because it's not something that people are expecting you to do. And that's a bad narrative for your leadership.
So we might meddle with this next question a little bit with some folks who are who are listening, which I find also fascinating too in in your life story that you shared. Um, that in every instance of leadership that you've stepped into, you've replaced somebody who who has fallen, who who is no longer in leadership because of their actions or or their behavior. So as as you've observed some of those failures in leadership, or you've seen others who are kind of on the brink, what are some of the warning signs? Give us give us a, a couple warning signs of mm, maybe maybe I'm not leading with humility here that could potentially lead. To a disqualification for ministry? I think the biggest one is pride. I think that is that is this arrogance, this proud look that you have all the answers. You know you're the final say in everything, and you go about carrying yourself as if you are God's best choice. I think that the scriptures talk about uh, what lead, pride leads to destruction, and you can see it. J.C. Ryle, he makes a perfect point by saying sin is manifested well off in private before it's made manifest in public, and that, that's a pride indicator. I say number two, the aspect of that is selfishness. I mean, there's not just by chance Christ says if you want to follow me first, the first positional point is self-denial. Right. And so a lot of times we as leaders, we want to be the first. We want to always stick up. For, we always want to do this. We always want to get credit. And, and selfishness is at the root of all of those things that are taking place. And the last thing I would say is accountability. You reach certain points. You've seen most of it, what I've observed. Most people in leadership positions have followed me because one of those three things or a combination of those three things has settled in. Having no accountability where you are the law and the law, you're the king, Rex Lex and Lex Rex, right? If king is the law and the law is the king, when you fail to have accountability in your life, those Nathans in your life who can come in and freely say, you know what, you're full of yourself. <laughs> you're just doing the wrong. When you cease to have those people in your life, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Mm-hmm. So how have you done that, Bill, in your life? Who's who's holding you accountable? And I would imagine it happens in different spheres of, of your life. Right. Uh, I would say the first accountability, and, and this is the most hardest one, is your spouse. <laughs> I mean, listen, yes, I'm president of College of Biblical Studies and I'm board chair of, of ABHE. I sit on UWM's board. I'm plain old Bill at home. And I still take out the trash. I still have to clean up and, and do those things. And I think that is the best accountability, because there's no one knows you better outside of Christ than your spouse. And as, as leaders, as we often do, we have a hard time listening, right? And they're telling you things that, you know, are candid, and you have to step back. That's an ongoing life process, making sure that you listen. The second thing is, you have to have a friend, you have to have a Nathan, a, a person who, and that for me is my best friend. He goes all the way back to when I was in Connecticut, and I can call him up, and we share life and accountability. But also, you have to have a person that is in your structure. And that, in our case, is the board, right? You have to keep the board informed. You have to know, run ideas. And you can't, as a leader, you can't select board members who are just going to rubber stamp what's going on. I remember my third year after I tried to revamp the board, and I told the board I didn't want a rubber stamp board. And I came with this wonderful proposal, excellent proposal to start distance learning, because everybody knew I did it at Moody. And I had this something like a $5 million budget in my third year. And they sliced me to shreds. 
<laughs> and then they, then one of the board members said to me, "Hey, you wanted accountability. Now you have it." <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's that's Be careful what, what you ask for. Absolutely, but that's that was for my benefit. Because without that accountability in place, we have a tendency to keep running with no guardrails. And what happens with that, not only do you go off the cliff, but you bring a lot of other people with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you led off with Zelda. And I've had the opportunity, Amy and I have had the opportunity to be with both you and Zelda. And I just, Amy and I often talk about how we just love how you interact. And, And it's very true that you very clearly have an, an open, relationship where um, Zelda can call you on things and and but she does it in in, in loving ways and uh, it's such a such a great example for us and and I would say if you're a listener I, I think that's where it starts it starts at home it starts with your relationship with your spouse uh, with your family they are the ones who know you the best and I've shared this uh, principle before that the the higher you go in leadership the fewer truth tellers you have around you so therefore you have to go out and find those truth tellers and it starts at home you you can't fake out your spouse i can't fake out amy she knows when something's wrong and she'll call me on it. absolutely every single time here's what i love about that relationship philip it, it is such that it's done in grace and you can't refute it. <laughs> it's like, let's just put it out there and let you chew on a little bit. And we as leaders, sometimes our heads are hard, right? And so <laughs> we have to let it sink in to get through the thick skull, but the reality is still there. You need that accountability. And I'd say for leaders, oftentimes blind spots, you had mentioned some of the uh, selfishness and pride as being two, two warning signs. Unfortunately, we don't always see those because of those blind spots, right? It's it's hard to distinguish. And I think you kind of referred to it as it's a fine edge between leading in confidence and leading in in pride. There's they're distinctly different, but there's a lot that's close between those between those two areas. And it's having those it's having those mentors in your life who who can speak truth into whether it's perhaps crossing over where 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 it shouldn't. Right. And here's a a good test of that is it hurts. When it hurts, you got to start listening to it. Don't shun that because that's how we grow. Christ grew and matured through the things he suffered. And though often we shy away from those things that are really painful, but truth is painful. It has to hurt you before it can heal you. Mm, amazing. So we're getting to the end here. I wish we had a whole nother session to talk about this, but uh, a number of our listeners are, are young leaders. And I'm finally getting to the age that maybe I'm not uh, so young a leader and I have a little bit of wisdom that I can share. You're beyond me and your experiences and the wisdom that you have. So for those of us who are younger leaders, maybe some of us just getting started, we're sharpening that leadership edge. Maybe at our institutions, the presidents have given us a little bit of responsibility and we're kind of spreading our wings what are two words of advice that you would give to those emerging leaders to stay grounded in humility? And this may sound strange. The first one I would say, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, but stop lying to yourself. You got to stop lying to yourself. And the second one is stop blaming God for everything you think you're going into in ministry. <laughs> Don't blame God for the things you want to do. And that really sums it up, Phil, because what happens with emerging leaders is we attribute everything as ministry, everything. We blame God for so much, right? I'm going to do this. And really, it's just our selfish ambition that we want to go do those things. And the first thing is be honest with yourself. And what I mean by that is 
those little tiny secret sins that we call them that are manifesting in the crevices of our hearts, please hear this. If we do not deal with those in an early stage, they will be like gangrene or they'll be like those huge weeds that grow up and they will consume every single aspect in our lives as we get older. And not only will it impact you, but it'll impact your family and everybody around you. So I would say in that sense, make sure you are dealing with your own secret sins and stop lying to yourself. Wow, that's powerful, Bill. And that only starts, and, and boy, we can both attest to this. Uh, we, we think, oh, well, when we're older, this, this particular issue won't be a challenge for me. But uh, it's important that we're addressing those, those uh, sins in our life, those, those thought patterns in our life. And I also like to, j- just the idea of knowing your limitations too as a leader, right? So, so we, buy this, we buy this lie that anybody can be a leader, anybody can excel to whatever level of leadership is possible, but, but not lying to yourself is also being honest with yourself, recognizing how God has gifted you and recognizing that perhaps your leadership actually does have limits and trying to figure out where that sweet spot is, where you can most excel with how God has created you with the gifts and talents and abilities that he has. That is exactly, that is so correct, Philip. I, I, I'll say this again, another person important in my life was Norm Miller. He's the chairman and CEO of Interstate Batteries. He, through his own crashing and burning, he shared with me, he said, Bill, I've learned something. On my best day, I can do 100, put 120% and give it all my effort. He said, I realized that two seventies can beat me any day. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap up this, this uh, episode, but Bill, I just want to say thank you for sharing both some of your life experience, the vulnerability of sharing some of your life experiences and kind of what it means to be a humble leader. And I think you've really actually exemplified it even, even in this episode. Thank you. Uh, So we, we really, really appreciate the work that you do at uh, College of Biblical Studies, as well as with us here at ABHE. So until next time, stay kingdom focused. God bless. Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your biblical higher educational organization by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.